0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Good morning, everyone. How's it going? Are you ready for some fun? I just was having a blast. Just hugging everyone this morning. I know there's so many people that I haven't seen in a long time. And it's like just being with family here. And so hopefully that's how you feel this morning. And I just want to say a big thank you to Pastor Ben and the team for letting me even share my voice here. It's such an honor. Uh, we have some incredible leaders in the house. Gerald, one of our elders, is here. So I just want to shout him out, one of my mentors. He's an incredible man. It's such an encourager to all the staff here. And I know Pastor Lindsey, where are you? Another one of my mentors up here. Yeah, there we go. I love you guys. And there's so many people from Target and from our global team. And I just want to thank you. Thank you for coming and just being in church this morning with us. I know for some of you, this is the very first time you're coming to church. And so I just want to say thank you for stepping out and just jumping in. Um, My beautiful wife, Michelle, I want to say thank you to Michelle for supporting me. We've been married a year and two months now. It's been crazy. The first year of pandemic, craziness here in Minnesota with all the unrest. We've grown together a lot this year. Seems like we've been married almost for five years here. Pastor Ben said, I moved to Minneapolis nine years ago now, and it's been a little wild. Uh, we, I was in Apple Valley before that, Was have been a part of River Valley for 16 years now. And it's been so cool to watch God take a group of 300 people and then what he's doing all around the world today just blesses me to even be a part of that. And it blows my mind. So if you don't know, you're a part of an incredible church family here. Um, and our heart, so Michelle and I's heart, is so passionate to build A community of people who love Jesus like never before. And so whether that's a global team, whether that's a welcome home serving team, whether it's a life group, that's what we're all about. And that's what we want to do every single day. Um, And I love the fact that this is my neighborhood. I live a block away. I work, you know, Michelle and I work about 10 blocks away. And this is where we live and we do life. And I love the fact that I've been planted here for over a decade, and I've been able to see the change, see us not only start a church, but see literally hundreds if not thousands of lives change over the years and come into relationship with Jesus. And it's been such an awesome opportunity for me to understand what it looks like to live in a neighborhood and get planted and to understand your neighbors. But before I get started, I just want to let you know that I grew up in a very Pentecostal church. And when we say Pentecostal, like I'm not just saying we raise our hands and we enjoy worship and we sway, but we get Pentecostal where you start waving things. And I know some of you, I like text you and say, hey, bring your hanky. I wasn't even joking. So when I grew up in church, you have people that would sit down and then when they get excited, they would stand up and just say, yes, thank you. Praise the Lord. And so if you, if you feel comfortable doing whatever you want to do, I just want to just say, yes, you can. And do it. It's just going to get me excited and energized and ready to go. And if you're not comfortable and you're really Minnesotan, like I'll take a like little wave. Like I'm good with that too. I love it. Um, but I'm just going to pray and then we're going to jump into the message. Who is our neighbor? Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity for your word just to touch our hearts, Jesus. I pray that I would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. May these not be my words, but may they be your words, Lord. If I need to pivot, if I need to change, Lord, may I listen to your voice this morning. And Lord, I pray that the hearts here would be open to what you have to say, Jesus. May your word take root, may it grow, and may we grow in our relationship with you this morning and draw closer to you. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, if you're writing notes, I would encourage you to write notes. I'm in charge of our learning team for marketing at Target. And so if you're not writing notes, you're going to forget what, what I'm saying or any time you're learning. And so you are 10 times more likely to remember something if you write it down, even if you never go back to that note again. So if you want to rem- remember something, make sure you're writing it down, take some notes. But wow, 2020, what a year it has been. Anyone else with me here? What a year it has been. And Michelle and I, I can say, have been rocked in a lot of ways. And as I was preparing for the message, I have to come to the conclusion that even when I have been upset and stressed and just fretting, the rocking has been for a very good reason. And Jesus has been shaping our hearts and our, our minds to be transformed into something that's going to be more like his image. And so there were three things that I was thinking about when I thought, when I've been thinking aloud the last few months specifically. And one is, who is our neighbor? So that's the first question. Like, who is it? Like, how do we define who our neighbor is? Two, How do we truly love our neighbors well? So what does that look like practically to love your neighbor? And then three, in a world where we have very little control, what is our responsibility? So what is our responsibility in that whole thing? So let's take a look at who is our neighbor. And we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. And I think there's going to be some scripture up on the screen here, and it it starts to define what a good neighbor looks like. And to set the scene, um, there is a religious scholar asking Jesus, like, hey, I'm going to ask you some questions. And they they really weren't questions that were like, I'm really interested in your answer. It's kind of like today. They're the setup questions, right? Like, I'm going to ask you a question to see how you answer this question because I'm going to set you up. And so he said, okay, Jesus. He goes, how do I get eternal life? Like, tell me about that. Like, what will that look like? And, 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 and then he, and then Jesus says, well, what do you think? And he says, well, it's written in God's word to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as yourself. Isn't that right, Jesus? Won't that give me eternal life? And he said, he said, yep. And then he asked this question, and he says, how do you define neighbor? Jesus. And it was a trick question. How do you define it? And so if we look at Luke ten twenty five through 37, Jesus, of course, didn't answer his question. Instead, he told his story, which I love. And Jesus said this, there was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on the way down the same road. But when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite, a religious man, showed up. He also avoided the injured man. Then finally a Samaritan traveling the road came traveling the road came on him when he saw the man's condition when he saw the man's condition his heart went out to him he gave him first aid disinfecting the and bandaging his wounds then he lifted him onto his donkey led him into an inn and made him comfortable in the morning he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you in a week on my way back. What do you think? Which one, Jesus said, of these three became a neighbor to the man who was attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly. The religion scholar responded, Jesus said, go and do the same. And so if you look at this definition of who our neighbor is, there were some great examples for us. One was the Jewish definition of neighbor. So your fellow Israelite, it was someone from their tribe, someone who looked like them, someone who acted like them. They had the same culture, routines, their cadence of life. They went to the temple. They went to synagogue. Like, this is my neighbor. There's someone that I can connect with. That culturally was the Jewish definition of neighbor. When I think about today, our definition of neighbor we often think of the person who actually lives beside us, right? Like, this is my neighbor. Physically, they have the door beside me. They have maybe an ideological similarity to me. We seem to gather in groups that have common thought. Like, they believe what I believe. They, they support the things that I do. We have an intersection in life. We, we prescribe to the same type of moral behavior. Okay, you're in my group. Like, we believe the same ideology, um, I think about it as a guy. It's my crew, my boys. Like these are the people I depend on. Like this is my neighbor. They, they're going to take care of me. Like this is my family. It's someone who gets me. That's often what our world today would say. This is my neighbor. Someone that I'm comfortable with. That's today's definition of a neighbor. Jesus' definition of a neighbor, though, kind of rocked in this parable. He, like, destroyed every bit of, at the time, what the Jews thought the neighbors were and what we today, I believe, think neighbors are. Jesus' practice and teaching, (laughs) he taught us the total abolition of boundaries to love our neighbor. When we try to create groups, Jesus said, I'm blowing it up because everyone's your neighbor. All people, especially when they are in need, are your neighbor. When Jesus, looked at, when Jesus looks at us, he goes, you're all my neighbor. Like it doesn't matter who you are, where you came from, where you grew up, if you live beside me or not, you're my neighbor. And so the other way to frame this up is we will all be in need at some point. Like all of us will be that man that's on the side of the road that's going to go through something that's going to be hurtful, that we're going to need some help. And when we look at that, we as humans need to be the recipient of mercy sometimes. We're not always in the position to give that out. We are going to be the recipient of mercy. And so our human designed group boundaries become unimportant when we are the ones that are in need of mercy. Does that make sense? We start to create boundaries and groups that says, this is my group. This is your group. This is where you belong. But when we go through times of need, guess what happens? Those group boundaries start to disintegrate because it's not how God designed us. He didn't design us to be that group over there, this group over there. He designed us to be brothers and sisters in Christ. So my thought is, why can't we become the kind of neighbors we want others to be for ourselves? And it cannot be within the bounds of, you believe the same thing as me. It cannot be in the bounds of, you look like me, I'm comfortable with you. It cannot be in the bounds of my group identity. It has to be in the bounds of, we are all sons and daughters of the living King. So that's the definition of who Jesus describes as our neighbors. It's everyone. And so, if that's our definition, how do we then love our neighbors well? And the question is how do we truly love our neighbors? So I look at the first respondents. I look at the priest and the Levite temple assistant. And there are three ways in which they acted out of response to their neighbor. And it got me worked up because I was like, oh, I've probably done all of these things to people in my life. It was super convicting. The first one is self-preservation, fear. We, I respond out of fear to someone. If you think about the story, I'm walking down the street and if someone's hurt and injured and it looks like they were just attacked by someone. Maybe your first thought is, where's the bandit? Where's the guy who just beat him up? I'm not going to put myself in that spot. Why would I risk my life or the life of those around me to like help someone that there could be someone there who could hurt me? Why would I ever do that? Fear was their first response. Two, self-justification. My interaction with this potential Samaritan or Jew, who knows, it could impact my status or reputation. If I'm associated with this person right here and I'm showing them mercy and love, that could cross a group boundary and put me in their camp. I would never want to be associated with that person. Why would I ever cross that boundary? It's self-justification. My interaction could have an impact on my reputation. Someone could associate me with them. That's number two. Number three, judgment was their next response. Are they worthy of my help? You think about it, the very person, the priest, the Levite, who should have been the first one to give mercy and kindness and love was the one who angled to the very other side of the road. And I can say, I have done that plenty of times. This is awkward. I'm walking away. This is weird. I don't feel comfortable. I'm walking away from this situation. I have been the priest and the Levite so many times, especially if you're working and living downtown. You become that priest and Levite and you don't even know it. You just walk out of the situation, and it says judgment. Are they worthy of my help? They are probably, there is probably a reason they find themselves in this situation. That's the thing I'm thinking. There's probably a reason that they're beat up on the side of the road. There's a reason that that happened. And then they go, they're part of that group. They're part of those things. I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to help my neighbor. They are a part of that group. They are a part of these things. Why would I ever help them? Convicting for myself. When I think about the things that how I bucket people and how I label people because of their actions and interactions with me and how I make assumptions about where their heart posture is. It was convicting to me. They're different from me. They're not worthy of neighborship. If someone's different from me, they're not worthy of neighborship. And I think about that. And I think about if someone's in a different group or believes a different thing, what does Jesus compel me to do? And I think it's what the Samaritans did. It was his response. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They were looked down on by the Jews. They were looked down less than human because they were kind of Jewish, but not really. They worshiped at a different spot. They were kind of of our heritage, but not really. And when you think about that and you think about the Samaritan and how the Samaritans were looked down upon, that Samaritan man still had compassion on the man who was on the side of the road. He took care of him not only when he was in the spotlight of taking care of him. He did not just say, I'm in the middle of the road where everyone can see me. Let me grab you and give you a hand. Did you remember the rest of the story? He said, whatever this man needs for however long it takes, I will pay for his needs. I will take care of him after I'm long out of the picture. I got to go on my trip. I'm going to be gone for a few months. He did not just do it when he was in the spotlight to give care. He said, I will give you whatever you need after that moment. Conviction for me. Do I only do it when I'm in the spotlight, when it's on, hey, it's serve day. Let's go. Like, when do I do it? Am I only doing it when I'm in the spotlight, or am I going to be like the Samaritan? He said, whatever you need, I'm stepping into this. I think about this last week, and I think about the opportunity. I know there's some of my my Target family here this morning, and we have something called the Christian Network. And we have life groups, basically, that we call Living Faith at Work groups. And this past week, I had the privilege and opportunity um, to speak with our chief diversity officer, Kiera Fernandez, who also goes River Valley down Apple Valley. Super cool. She's been my mentor for almost 16 years. And we talked about Jesus and the gospel and how he loves everyone. And Kiera is like a woman of God, bold, like ready to go. And I loved it. And what it reminded me when we did that Zoom call with a couple hundred people was sometimes we put limits on who our neighbors can be in our workplace. You think about it. We are there to work. We are there to be productive. And we don't have the neighbor mentality. Our definition of neighbor has lost its meaning there. And those are some of the people that we spend the most time with ever. And when we think about who our neighbors are and the workplace, sometimes we pretend, well, we need a chaplain there. Like, I'm not going to go interact with people or pray. And I loved Kiero. We have it, for those of you who know Target headquarters, we have something called the Great Hall. It's this massive area where hundreds of people meet. And there's just all kinds of commotion going on. People talking, statusing. And I loved one of the things she said. She goes, if I need to lay hands on someone in the Great Hall and pray for their healing right there, I'm going to do it. Because that's who God has called me to be. I don't get to choose who my neighbors are when I'm at Target. Because if I believe in the healing power of Jesus, that does not turn off when I step into 1,000 Nicollet Mall. It becomes even more so. And when Kira said that, I was like, come on. My favorite moments of Target were when we got to step into an enclave when someone had lost their wife, someone had lost their husband, someone who just was diagnosed with breast cancer. And you know what the enemy would say to you? He would say, this is not your neighbor. It's not the time. He would say, that's fear. He would say, you cross the other side of the road. Don't you dare go to that admin, lay your hands on them and say, I'm thinking about you and I'm, dare you say, praying for you in the name of Jesus that you would find comfort, that you would find healing, that you would find hope. Don't you dare say that. You got to keep that fear. And I love the fact that Kira is like, that's not who we ask you to be. We ask you to bring your authentic self to work every single day. And if that means you love Jesus Christ, I hope you don't hide that at work. Whoa, blew me away. And then Kira started to tell her own personal story as a black woman raising four black kids in a very rough time here in Minneapolis. And she said, she said, there are people that look at my family and don't value us and have things that tear us down, do not lift us up. And she was telling about some of her experiences where people literally have, like, antagonized her or say things that as a black woman you shouldn't be in that place. And her kids have experienced the same thing. And I I think about that. And her response wasn't like, get them, find them. She said, my response, you know what, those are my neighbors too. Whoa, whoa, what an example to me. She said, those are my neighbors too. She said, when I'm on a Zoom call, someone says something like that. She's like, God has called me to love and to care for them. No matter who they are, I am not to judge because it's not my role to judge someone. No matter what's coming out of their heart, no matter what is doing, it's not my job. And when she said that, there's just something that broke inside of me where I was like, it is not my job. My job is to love so very well. In Jesus' time, it was appropriate to hate your enemies. It was actually a part of the culture. Like, it was 100% of the part of the culture. culture. The culture actually encouraged you to hate children of darkness. And the definition of that was those who were different than you. Those who did not obey the same kosher laws than you. Those that acted like a pagan compared to your culture. Today is no different. We are focused on our own self-interest, our own groups, our own people, our own how we live. And as Christians and followers of Jesus, we have to destroy that because it's the love of Jesus who heals. We cannot be in our own corners. We literally, last night, I even had a moment. Our families are divided. Our churches are divided. Our communities are divided. You say one wrong thing and you're in a group that I don't support anymore. How can we do that as followers of Jesus? How can we do that? That is not our neighbor. When I have family members that literally are so like, they're just like, I can't believe you would say that. I can't believe you would support that. It breaks my heart that at such a time as this, when our communities, when our city is hurting the most, when when we are alone because of a pandemic and our result is to push people into their corners and to say, you're in this group, you're in this group, it's wrong and we have to break it and the church has to lead the way. The church has to lead the way. There is no one else that's going to do it. There is no one else that's going to stand up for right. There is no one else that's going to bring hope. There is no one else who's going to bring love. And if no one else does it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to share the love of Jesus with everyone that I can meet. I'm not going to let it happen anymore. It's wrong. And in this church, we are united. We are not divided. We are going to love our community. We're going to love the person that's on the street. We're going to love the person that's on this tower. We're going to love the guy that's a businessman in that tower. We're going to love the woman who's far on the streets. There is no one, no one who we will not love. Because God has called them to be our neighbor. And if they're not our neighbor, how can you say you're a follower of Jesus? How can you say you're a follower of Jesus and look at someone with disdain, no matter what they've done for you? Because I've done it. I did it this morning. I was scooting to Target to print these notes. And I was scooting out Nicollet Mall, and this car came And they're just bumping, and there's no license plates. And they had their, their line of cars. And I was like, you are the problem. That's what I said in my head. I said, you are the problem. No license plates. I know what you're doing. Not the response Jesus would do. Not at all. And then I have to come back home to my wife, and I said, did it again, even right before the service. Jesus' response would be, my heart breaks. If someone's acting out in that much pain and they've gone through so much, my heart should not be hard. It should break. It should weep. It should cry. When I see those things that should antagonize me and I should be putting them into their group, my heart should break. Okay, I didn't think I would do that, but here we go. You can't take the Pentecostal out of this boy. <laughs> I'm sorry for you Minnesotans, that you had to experience that. Um, okay, I'm getting back. I'm getting back. OK. Jesus Jesus commanded us to love and pray for our enemies. Matthew 5:44. It doesn't need to be any clearer than that. Let's just obey him. <laughs> um, he set us an example. Like, he literally loved us when we were so wicked and hateful. Like, he literally gave his life up. Like, he set the example for us. When we were on the other side, he gave his life for us. We just celebrated that in communion. And so if we can't take Jesus at his word and just be obedient, we're in trouble. But here's how we can truly love our neighbors well. One, I believe we don't get to choose who we love who we serve, who we share God's goodness to, who we forgive even. It doesn't matter their upbringing, their social, political, economic status, the language they speak, the religious beliefs they hold. The goodness and grace of God is for everyone. None of us can earn it, and most certainly we don't deserve it. Not a single one of us here today. I think we get two responses What is our response to our neighbors? And I know in this day and age with a pandemic, we're going to respond differently depending on where you're at. So if you're in, you know, in a vulnerable group, it might not be smart to be down on Nicollet Mall without a mask and, you know, things, right? But you can text someone the love of Jesus. You can go down your list and say this person doesn't know anyone in Minnesota and they moved here and they're by themselves. I can text some encouragement to them. Maybe you are good and you're comfortable with going out on Nicollet Mall with Michelle and I and we're going to hand out some food and and some cold water and love some people. Amazing. But think about what your response is to these two questions. Do we run away from those in trouble and need or do we run toward them? Do we run away when we're uncomfortable and when people look different than us and we are on edge and maybe we don't know what's going on or do we run toward them? Do we sit with people in their mess and love them or look at them in judgment? And I think sometimes we don't realize we're sitting there in judgment. I would say most of the time I don't have the cognitive ability when I'm scootering to realize that my thoughts right now are actually in judgment, not in love. So can we say even when we do, we're going to have moments we win, moments we don't. I love it on our Zoom call this past week with the Christian Network. We're like, if we can get like a three out of a four or a four out of a seven, you know, days in a row where we're just going for God and we have a bad day, it's okay because our hearts are for you. Our hearts are going towards you. Our hearts are going toward our neighbors. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean Michelle and I are out there giving water out. I have plenty of thoughts I'm about to tell you in a second that I've been a horrible, horrible person that doesn't reflect Jesus in many moments. And if we can't acknowledge that that's all of us, even to the bubbly Bradley that's up here, then you got another thing coming. Like our lives are not perfect. We do not respond with grace every single time. And if I can say that, I think most people in this room can say, I got some improvement to do. Like I got to figure out different ways to love people and different ways to break my heart for those around So it's noon. I'm going to go through three quick things that are going to help us see what our specific responsibility is. And just a little side note, these all come from our soap this week. It's soap, stands, it's our Bible reading plan, scripture, observation, application, and prayer. God reveals so much to me. Like every time I'm prepping, it's like I open up soap and the message just is right there. So if you don't have a quiet time, this is a practical thing. If you don't have a quiet time where you get in God's presence, it's probably the, the most powerful thing you could ever do. Not even sitting in this room, I know many people don't want me to say that. The most powerful thing you can do is get into God's word every single day and spend some quiet time with Him. So, so this is what I'm basically giving you a little soap devotional because this is what I got out of soap that happens relate to our neighbors. So we're gonna go through Romans 12 uh, and a couple of verses that really stuck out to me. So number one and the most important thing, and I think I get, in, get sucked into this and I think many people, especially here in our Twin Cities get sucked into this. The number one thing we need to do when we're taking responsibility is elevate God as the answer, not our works or efforts. Elevate God as the answer, not our works or efforts. It's so easy to get caught in that trap. Because that is what everyone is saying the answer is right now. If I give enough to this cause, if I do enough things, then I will overthrow or I will change this. And it's like we need to be active. Faith without works is dead. I, I agree and I understand that. But when we try to do it in our own accord, and my heart is not being transformed by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit... When I do my works, they become judging works. If you're not doing what I'm doing, you're wrong. If you're not doing this, they become judgy works. And so we have to. It has to start here. And this is what is the solution, I believe, to what we are going through right now. We have to elevate God as the answer, not our works. It's our differentiator. In Romans 12, 3, it says this. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and what he does for us. Not by what we are and what we do for him. Not but what we are and what we do for him. Because what we do is pointless, to be honest. What I do on Nickel Mall, what I serve, is pointless in the big scheme of things. It's elevating God to do it. And when we elevate it to him, then our works become supernatural. Then our works become touching hearts that really need it. But when we fight and fight in our own accord, it's literally to a dead-end road. It's literally just for our own well-being. And that's when God says, I'm not going to bless that. So elevate God is the answer. And then two, recognize what he wants from us and quickly respond. Recognize what he wants from us and quickly respond. We don't have time to wait around. We have to be praying and we have to get in that quiet time. Because if you don't get in God's presence to hear his voice, what are you going to give away to the people that you're walking by? It's going to be nothing good. It's going to be of your own accord. And so how do we get filled up? It says in Romans 12, 2, it says... Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Spend time with him. Pray to him. You'll be changed from the inside out, readily recognizing what he wants from you so you can quickly respond to it. Readily recognizing what he wants from you so you can quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well formed maturity in you. And that you could have a whole message in this one verse. Like, I would encourage you, like when I was reading, so meditating on it, because think about this. The culture around us is dragging it down to their level of immaturity. What we have right now going on in our country, in our city, is immaturity. It's groups. It's separate. It's not God's love. It's not unity. And we are being drug into it. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've done it myself. I'm drugged into my own corner because I'm so like, you're in that group. I'm in this group. This is what I believe. And we cannot be drug into their immaturity. God brings the best out of you and well-formed maturity. So if you are not having the best come out of your mouth, if you aren't having the best come out of your mind, that's not of God. It's literally not of God. You are being drugged into this cultural war that is not of Jesus. We have to lay aside those things and say, I want my mind to be transformed. I want a new, fresh perspective on what you have for me. And I have so many examples. I won't share all the stories. I'm going to keep going on my points. Find your place, you are uniquely gifted. That's how we elevate God. When you find your place in the body of Christ, that's how you elevate God in the situation. God is giving you gifts. I don't care who you are in this room. He's giving you gifts. He's giving you talents that no one else can replicate. Not a single other person because you were designed with a special purpose that only you can deliver on in this world. And so you gotta pursue God to say, what are those gifts? What are those talents that you've given me to help bring healing and love to a very, Broken world. So we have to do that. In Romans 12:6, it says, We are the part of the body. Let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously and pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we are not. We must find our place. And finally, we must focus on what we're called to do. This is how we elevate God. We must focus on what we're called to do. If It says in Romans 12, 7 and 8, if you are called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. We don't have time to be waiting around. If you see someone in need, if you think about it the next day, you're too late. If you see someone in need and you see the man on the road, you do not angle across the street kneel and pray you go i'm on it that's when you take action because you're filled with the holy spirit and you know what's right to do you take action and you do that we're called to do it we're called to say if you are to work with the disadvantage the bible says don't let yourselves get irritated with them depressed by them keep a smile on your face oh that's hard <laughs> that's really hard like i don't know about you But when I'm walking down and even handing out waters and I'm like, you are out of your mind. Like, this is craziness. What is this conversation? Jesus loves them. I need to have some mercy and some grace. Like, that's what I need to do. That's my response to them. I got to keep a smile on my face. Even though I'm like, this is madness. Jesus loves them. And me in my craziness. Just as crazy. (laughs) Number two. So number one, we got to elevate God. Number two, never give up. Let's get some grit, people. I meet people and they get one hard encounter with someone and they go run away into their house and never come back again. Jeez, like come on. I tell my mentees, get some grit. You're going to get some tough feedback at Target and it's okay. Like you're going to make it through. Not everyone's going to like you. Like get over it. Like get some grit, people. The Bible says never to give up. It says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and flame, Be alert servants of the master. Cheerfully expect it. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. That is not a quitter's verse. Ah, like we literally, you hand out water and someone who's out of their mind says something weird to you and you run back to the car. No. Ah you you meet your neighbor and you didn't have your mask on at the right time and they say something to you now you're never going to talk to them again no like get a get get into the zone here people like do not burn out Keep yourself fueled and flame Because when you're fueled and flame, you're in God's word. And when some idiot says something about a mask, whether you're against it or not, your response isn't, I don't like you. You're horrible. My response is, I'm sorry, I love you. I'm sorry, like, God has a plan and a purpose. And I'm not going to get worked up about this because I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Come on. Okay. The next one, get along with everyone and don't insist on getting even. Woo! What world do we live in? It's the exact opposite of that verse today. I'm going to go long. I'm sorry. Romans 12, 17 through 20. Hopefully you're enjoying yourselves at least. If not, it's probably pretty painful out there. Um, get along with everyone and don't insist on getting even. It says, don't hit back discover beauty in everyone. If you got in on you, if you've got it in you, get along with everyone. Don't insist on getting even. That is not for you to do. I'll be doing the judging, God says. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy, the person that's antagonizing you, the person that's in the other camp, the person that looks different than you, Go buy, if they're hungry, go buy them lunch. If they're thirsty, go give them a drink of water. Your generosity will surprise them with your goodness. Whoa, get along with everyone. Don't insist on getting even. Literally, this exact opposite is happening. I am doing that. Has anyone else done that? Will you be in the camp with me? You, you, the rest of you are perfect. You've never tried to get back with anyone. You're not upset about any of the discourse that's going on in our society. You never said anything bad. No. I know you're Minnesota, and That's okay. We're raising our hand. Um, but we do. It's in our nature to get back. It's in our nature to be like, I'm going to get you. You're not in my group. You don't support my ideology. And what does the Bible say? It's the, it's the worst thing to actually preach from because I have to hold myself accountable to this. Oh, get along with everyone and don't insist on getting even. Can we do that? It's gonna be hard for me. I'll probably be 50-50. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna try. We need to work on that. No matter who you are, we gotta work on it. And then finally, my last point here, get the best of evil by doing good. We are not helpless. I've had so many people tell me that I feel helpless. I can't do anything. I feel helpless. I'm stuck in my house by myself. Everyone's destroying each other and talking. Ho- I feel helpless. That is not what the Bible says to do. The joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures. Like, God has not given us a spirit of fear. What has he given us? A spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. It says, get the best of evil by doing good. And I think so many good people are sitting on the sidelines today. So many good people who know what it is to do good, and you don't want to be in the fray. You want to be comfortable. You want to be in your community. You want to be with the neighbors that... Our society defines as neighbors. And we have to get the best of evil by doing good. It says, don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Romans 12, 21. And this is, I'm gonna leave you with this. In my own family, there's divisions. In my own, in my own extended family, with the mask, with our political sides. Like, I'm like, really? Are we having this conversation? Do you do, do you hate me because of this like our own families like is anyone I mean is all your family on the same page or yeah right we all have this within our families we have it within our church and so if that's the case how do we start to approach it and I would I would dare say this as a church get the best of evil by doing good I want to get the best of evil I see so much evil out there every single day. There's not a day where I don't see things that break my heart. They're evil. We live in an evil day when people are pitting against each other. They're saying things that maybe they would never say to anyone in their life. Because now there's a spirit of evilness that has crept onto our country. And if I can do anything with my last breaths, I am going to get the best of evil in the good way like the gritty way i'm gonna get the best of evil like are you gonna get the best of evil like that's what we're charged to do (laughs) i do not want to get caught with my like knowing that i am an unknowing accomplice of evil do you want to be an unknowing accomplice of evil when good men do nothing when you stand for nothing You are an accomplice to evil. I am an accomplice to evil. When I choose to walk to the other side of the street versus deal with the guy who's bloody and beat up, I am an accomplice to evil. Oof. That hits home. Because I do that on a weekly basis. I don't feel comfortable. I'm not going to do that. And granted, like I said, we're all learning. Even if we say yes to that one time in a given week, I'm proud of you, proud of myself. Even if we say once, instead of when we have that urge to go across the street, to go toward the person, can you choose one time this week to say, I'm not going to let the evil get the best of me? That's where I'm at. I'm in a very broken spot this morning, reminded of it. And you might think, well, what is an email going to do to encourage someone? What is a text going to do? What is a maybe giving someone an elbow bump going to do? What is cleaning up a shard of glass after? You don't even want to know my lack of Christian response after the riot two weeks ago. I did not respond like Jesus wanted me to respond. And instead, it should be breaking my heart. So if you all are here with me today, and you, any of this resonated with you, I just want you to think about it. Once this week, one time, that's all I'm asking. I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to go out on Nicollet Mall every day and hand out waters. What I'm asking you is when you see a moment when you feel uncomfortable, when you see a moment of someone that's in a different group than you and intentionally has very different views points that maybe even anger you, will you go across the street? One time. That's all I'm asking. Will anyone get in on this with me and one time this week go across the street? So it's hard. It's not easy. One time this week. So all I'm going to ask you to do. It's a very for myself. You're not going to be perfect at it. We're going to mess up a million times. But that's why we know that num- point number one, we need God. We need to elevate God. Because God. We cannot do it in ourselves. We're going to fail every single time. We have to elevate God in those situations. And then number two, we need to never give up. We need to get some grit, people, right? And then number three, get the best of evil by doing good. That's what I want us to like think through and think about. Maybe there's one time and and to make it practical, you got to tell someone. Like I just told you like four or five things that I'm working on you got to tell at least someone you trust like hey I did not want to do something that was good I did not want to speak life into a situation I recognized it like I recognized that I was doing that and I chose an alternative path and what did I do instead I prayed what did I do instead I actually got to know the person tell one person what you struggled with and even it's harder if you don't do it tell someone Like, I didn't respond to what God has called me to do. Will you hold me accountable next time? Will you hold me accountable the next time I run into that situation? Because if we start doing it, and we're several hundred people here this morning, think about how it will change. If every one of us in this room did it, we would change the culture in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Like, if everyone in this room did it. That's the challenge, though. It's hard. So if it starts with us, we're going to start to see the Holy Spirit transform a city that's really, really hurting. And so I'm going to close up. And the most important thing to this is being able to elevate God. But if you aren't in a relationship with Jesus, you can't elevate Jesus because you don't know him. You don't have that heart connection. And so the first place to start to understand the role God plays in your life, we have to give up our everyday ordinary lives, the Bible says, our coming and our going. We have to say, I give that up to you, Jesus, that you're going to be in charge of that instead of me responding in anger, I got to give that up to you. And I believe that God fills us up with so much life, so much hope, that we can't help but give it away when we are in true relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to ask everyone to close their eyes. And maybe you are here today and you're like, who is this guy? (laughs) This is nuts. Please open the doors. (laughs) Um, We'll let you out, I promise. But Maybe you're in here today and you're like, why are you crying? Why are you emotional about this? Why are you screaming these scriptures at me? Um, But you realize that there's some truth in that. You realize that you see this world's broken. You see that yourself is broken. And you want to fight evil. You want to be hope and you want to do good. But you cannot do that on your own. It cannot be something that you fight for by yourself. And so if that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. I'm going to count to three. And it's super easy. In Romans ten nine, it says, All you have to do is, is confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that he has risen from the dead and you will be saved. Super easy. That's all you have to do. And so... We do that. One, Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus, through me. And then Jesus also said that he has taken what was old and bad and it made it brand new. And so if that's you here this morning, if you want to get in on new life, if you want to fight evil with good, I want you to raise your hand this morning.